The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed at the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live here from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us here on Tuesday morning again. Uh, I do apologize. We're having some kind of issue. Maybe it has. Maybe this is being affected um, with all of this nonsense of people being at home <laughs> from the invisible enemy. Remember, they used that that whole kind of thing of the invisible enemy back after nine eleven too, because they wouldn't call it what it was. And I think it's a combination between. Islamic terrorism and our own government. Now, that's me. I think it's both. I don't think it's one or the other. Um, but uh, they, they said it was an invisible enemy. It's, it doesn't have borders. It doesn't have uniforms. It, all of this stuff, right? Remember that? Now we've got an invisible enemy. In fact, it's one that where the numbers really doesn't add up. Um, we have people out there doing what they're doing as far as following behind these these guys in the media, you know, the media that everybody listening to me says they don't believe, and the politicians who continually lie to them, they say they don't believe, but <laughs> we're seeing it with this, and losing our liberties in one fell swoop. It just So I don't know if that's affecting the video stream or not, because people are at home, my friend in China, uh, told me that they had a really slow internet, and I can tell on the uploads here that it was... It was going slow, and we were it was constantly having to restart. So uh, those who will go to the site usually or to YouTube or something like that, I'm, I apologize, but uh, it's just it's not going to be it's not going to be there. And, but we are recording it, so the video and the podcast will be available after the show on SonsLibertyMedia.com. In fact, we're going to have a very interesting uh, talk today because today's our Tuesday, and we're going to be. Um, discussing we're going to continue what we're talking about in the middle east how we got there who the players are all these things so we're going to be covering uh, a wide range of stuff and i've got to get out of all this formality right quick but i just want to let you know if you were looking for the stream um it's not going to be there Uh, so as soon as they have that sorted out then maybe we'll be good to go anyway if you'd like to check us out online sonsoflibertyradio.com sonsoflibertymedia.com our Twitter account is FPPTM, FPPTM on Twitter. Facebook is Bradley Dean SOL, Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. By the way, it will be up on the YouTube channel 
um, the video portion of the show after the show as well. Beforeitsnews.com will also have that for a short time this morning, and then DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. Uh, you can also find us on Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. Now, if you join me on Friday, uh, we missed having Victor last Tuesday, and uh, so I had him come on on Friday. If you missed that show, you'll want to pick it up, and that was about whether or not Q could be believed or was it a PSYOP. There is still so many people who are wrapped up in the Q thing, and I think it is causing a lot of you who may be wrapped up in that to stand down when you should be standing up and when you should be speaking out against the tyranny that you see going on in your country right now under this administration and many of the governors of the states. You should be standing up and and speaking out against it. With that said, um, Victor's with us this morning, and uh, we've got a, a pretty big topic to cover. So good morning, Victor. Good morning, Tim. How are you, man? I'm awake, and my wife has fed me a good breakfast and a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go. You have a good wife, man. You have a good wife. And the Bible says that when you find a wife, you've found a good thing. You've got, you've got favor with the Lord, man. And I, I believe that on my heart. I really do. All right. Well, we've got a um, we've got a, a, a lot of stuff to cover. Greco-Roman Gnosticism, Jewish Kabbalah, Renaissance, British Esotericism, uh, the Empire, Enlightenment, and Freemasonry. It's kind of like the the old Wizard of Oz things, you know, lion, sacred bears, whatever. <laughs> oh my! So I'm going to let you jump right into it, and uh, and we'll take it from there, man. Okay. Well, uh, a short version. of My headline might have been the supernatural in politics and uh, empire, and uh, the supernatural in this case, which I'll talk about in a moment, is essentially Gnosticism and its varieties, which is essentially spiritism, sexualism, and socialism. And it, I'm going to be covering the, the influence of Jewish Kabbalah on Western civilization uh, right up to about the uh, point of the development of uh, an initial impact of Freemasonry. And I, just to get a sense of where I'm going, I'm going to start with a quote from Albert Pike, who was a leading Freemason, wrote a book called Morals and Dogma, one of the official uh, deep um, Masonic books. And he wrote in that book, he said, Masonry is the search after light. The search leads us directly back, as you see, to Kabbalah. Not only is Kabbalah the key of the occult sciences, but that this key turns on secret science of numbers. And then he also wrote that Masonry is the true and pure philosophical religion, and it's the belief in Lucifer, the equal of Adonai. But Lucifer... God of light and God of good is struggling for humanity against Adonai, the God of darkness and evil. And Adonai is Jesus Christ. So the higher you go in Gnosticism and in Freemasonry toward the tippy top of the 32 degrees and the unnamed ones beyond and the co-Masonic groups, you really are talking about a group of people that are Luciferians and they are opposed to Christianity. So, Let's go back. We have to go all the way back to the, uh, um, the, the Greco-Roman uh, Empire. Because back in then, we call it that because while the Romans wound up conquering everybody in the Mediterranean, they uh, were really just a political, pragmatic uh, force of people. They really wound up adopting a Greek culture. And so eventually, because all the people... Greek from the conquest of Alexander the Great. And so 
Rome really was, at base, the same kind of Hellenistic culture that had predominated beforehand. And what was that culture? Well, you had Pythagoras, who was trying to figure out what the universe or the cosmos is all about, and he got deep into numerology. They were also pantheists, and they were into reincarnation. They were into mystic religions, mystery religions, where they could the elites could learn to, the steps of becoming one with the essence of the Godhead. Uh, and then you had uh, Plato <laughs> teaching the Republic, and their Republic was actually his Republic, was a totalitarian state because they figured out if it's all one, then there should be one government. And Aristotle taught the same thing. He taught it to his student, Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great made an attempt to make that one world government. And in the process, wound up uh, Hellenizing the area that uh, Israel was living in, and eventually the Romans came on top of them. So that that's that's the the starting point for this this, this conversation because what the Renaissance and I'll come back to this in a moment. What the Renaissance was, rebirth, renaissance, is the rebirth of the uh, Greco-Roman mystery religions. Because on the one hand it was focused on man, but also on the occult and the secrets and mysteries. So let's uh, pause for a moment and say this. You know, there are three ways, largely three ways of looking at the world. And one is, uh, you say, it's just total material. It's just a physical world. There's nothing, be, there's only naturalism. Uh, when a human personality dies, that's it, it's over. Uh, and that is the kind of the view today of what is called scientism. Uh, and it's what predominates in our schools. Uh, it's essentially uh, that materialistic point of view. And so as soon as you start talking about the supernatural, as far as the official establishment is concerned, uh, you're already uh, pretty much off the, off the edge of reality. But the second view of the world is a combination of matter and spirit. This is called pantheism, and it's what we'll be getting into with the Kabbalah. And this is the view that um, uh, somehow, strangely, there is no creator God. There is just uh, matter, and it somehow got some spirit to it, and uh, it once was unified, but it's been broken up, and the idea is you're going to get back to it. This is Hinduism and Buddhism. It's uh, Sufism. It's Kabbalah. It's Neoplatonism. It's all different varieties of Gnosticism. And the third one is monotheism. Uh, the original Torah uh, and prophets of Judaism were clearly monotheistic, but today's modern uh, Judaism is not monotheistic anymore. Uh, Islam is monotheistic, but it's... Uh, it's a, a religion formed by a fallen angel originally. And then you have uh, Christianity, the triune creator God, a distinction between creator God and creation. And those are the three worldviews. So if there are materialists or naturalists out there listening, uh, you don't need to necessarily say, oh, i got to turn this off. You can say, well, uh, I think that's bunk, but if some people believe that and are acting on it, I better know something about it. Because there are a lot of people at the very highest levels of many societies over the centuries that believe in a Gnostic point of view. So having said that, um, let's then make a quick pause. I don't know how many of you may have heard of, of uh, Anthony Sutton, but Anthony Sutton was working at the Hoover Institute. He began studying the transfer of Western capital and, uh, uh, and technology to the Soviet Union. And uh, he was a brilliant man. I met him once uh, just briefly, and he he said it, toward the end of his life, he said, I started out studying bills of lading, 
being an economist. And I wound up studying occult secret societies like uh, Skull and Bones at Yale. And if the more you probe politics, uh, you will find if you get deep and get beyond the two-party labels uh, or the, the typical things that are in the mass media, you start uncovering people at the top of all sorts of different organizations that are involved in the occult. Uh, take the United Nations, the spiritual heart of the United Nations is something called the Lucis Trust and the Temple of Understanding. These are co-Masonic groups, uh, totally committed to Luciferian politics, and they're the source of the climate change debate, Common Core, Agenda 21, and it's all highly occultic. Vaccines? <laughs> yes. Vaccines, chemtrails, all the stuff, yeah. Right, and and then you start looking at uh, the, the, the role of Freemasonry, and you see the number of U.S. presidents that have been Freemasons. Uh, so the I, just understand that this is really not just uh, uh, quacky talk. This is something that's very real because people believe it. And so what you really wind up with is a war from a pers- biblical perspective, a war that's been going on now for thousands of years between the Creator God and Lucifer. And so that warfare continues to this day, and people don't, who are into scientism and materialism can't even believe that's possible, because, of course, there are, is no such thing as spirits beyond this physical world. But as Christians, we know that that's the case, and we often downplay that reality. C.S. Lewis once said, you can either overdo it or underdo it, but you need to do it. And so understanding that's going on. So let's now... Well, Victor, can, can yes. I ask, let me ask a question here. Uh, you, who are you mentioning that says they don't believe that spirits are beyond this world? Materialists or naturalists. Okay. I mean, people that just say, so, you know, it's just science, it's just Darwinian chance evolution. Right. So, But we're not talking about the skull and bones people. We're not talking about the people in uh, Freemasonry. Those people, that's not materialism. Those right. they people are the, yeah, uh, the pantheists, sure the, the occultists. The people that see that the the material world and the spiritual world are somehow one, uh, but there's no creator-god distinction. Yeah, I just want to make sure we were clear on that. Thank you. Okay, good. So let's just quickly, I guess this is very quick, uh, uh, the uh, the Garden of Eden had two trees. And this it may sound strange, but this is critical to understanding what's been going on for 6,000 years. One tree is the tree of life which is essentially feeding on the truths of God and, and a personal uh, relationship. And the other tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that was forbidden for a time, because the, the understanding, now we look back, is that God was going to teach Adam and Eve and their children to feed on the tree of life. And when they were mature enough, they could then go and eat off the tree of good and evil, or knowledge, because then he, they had the right standards, the right understanding to be able to have the discernment that they needed. Well, no, they, they jumped it, and they said, no, we're going to get over here. They followed, followed what the serpent had to say, and they uh, ate of the tree of good and evil, and so they got cast out of the kingdom. One of the things that developed was the, one of the most satanic, advanced technological civilizations that was unfolding. It was so bad that God had to destroy it all through the flood. And there are flood stories that are found in the, in the uh, histories of all kinds of countries all over the world. Anyway, so after that, you have this, this period, and the next thing is very important. Eventually, you have the, uh, the attempt to create uh, the Tower of Babel in the cities on the plain of Shinar, which was essentially the, a movement to a kind of a pantheistic, uh, anti-God movement 
under Nimrod, and God broke that up, set the nations all over the place. And it's very interesting to note that when God spoke, he chooses a natural mountain of his own like Moses or Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. But when Satan builds mountains, he builds pyramids and ziggurats and obelisks. And so then that's their, those are dailies. They were all uh, masons. They're stone masons. Speculative masonry comes along later. So at any rate, you have that. And then you have Abraham, you have the uh, promise of a, a Messiah, and eventually a God-worldly kingdom, a paradise on earth, a kind of a, an expanded Garden of Eden. And the Jews were also promised uh, a Messiah. And, and Isaiah talks about two kinds of Messiah, or, or two aspects of Messiah, the uh, suffering servant and the, and the king of the world. And the Jews, of course, were always looking for the king of the world because they wanted to rule the world. They'd be the administration for this. And Jesus came, and he was a suffering servant, so they didn't like that. So they, combined with the Romans, had him killed. So eventually we see what happens there in Israel is that 30 years later, as foretold by Jesus in Matthew 24, uh, the Romans come and destroy Jerusalem and the Jews that were still living outside of Jerusalem, it was a horrible, terrible disaster. I mean, they, they, were, they were starving, and they were eating their own children because they were starving to death before the, the whole thing fell. People in the surrounding areas, many Jews returned to uh, Babylon, where there's always been a large Jewish community. Uh, some of them went to Alexandria, uh, Damascus, and throughout the Roman Empire. And then in 19, I mean, sorry, 135, there was the Bar Kochba revolution. They thought he was the Messiah, and on that one, the Romans really uh, just drove the Jews all over the place. So you now had the Jewish diaspora. They had no temple. They uh, had no priesthood. They couldn't do animal sacrifices. And the whole thing turned into uh, the rabbis running the story. Uh, and they believed that they had not just the written Torah, which was for the common man, but something called the oral Torah, which is really something they picked up in the Babylonian captivity, which was all kinds of occultic sort of things. And uh, so it was, they had the Torah, oral Torah, and they started commenting on it. Well, if you, if I haven't read the whole of the Torah by far, but because of something in 47 volumes, it's essentially different Jewish scholars and thinkers commenting on their version of the Torah to the point where they've actually become a bunch of traditions and extra biblical concepts and have totally divorced themselves from uh, the Torah itself as written. There's only a small segment of Jews called the Karaites who actually hold to that. But the Talmudics uh, all have that particular point of view. And then they added also the Kabbalah. And the Kabbalah is essentially, um, they believe that God is a, it's a pantheistic world, and that, that the original essence of being was somehow fragmented and these little sparks of uh, life have gotten embedded in various degrees of good and evil, and the idea is to pull all these little sparks of, of this Einsoft, they call it, uh, back together and have a, a new creation. And so you have um, pantheism, you have reincarnation, you have numerology, you have spirit communications, um, where they actually think they're talking to uh, spirits that are illuminating them, but they're, they're actually fallen angels. And so you, and then you have the, the this Development is going on primarily in Eastern Europe, but not only in Eastern Europe, in parts of the Mediterranean, and and for for literally a, a, a thousand years. I mean, from the time they got kicked out in 135 uh, until we get passed into the actually into the Middle Ages, 
um, this development of the Kabbalah is going on. And in that same period, um, Islam comes to fore, and they wind up having a mystical tradition called Sufism, which gets kind of combined with, uh, with the Kabbalah. And so all that's brewing. Finally, you get through the Middle Ages, and we then come to the place where the Renaissance occurs. And all of this is the Renaissance. People think of it as, oh, beautiful statues, Leonardo da Vinci, whatnot. But the, the Renaissance is really the comeback of paganism, of Satan's uh, um, Greco-Roman mystery religions and the rest. Now, can I, can so I, ask, had, can I ask a question yeah. about that? Um, because but, the Renaissance precedes the Reformation. Yes. And uh, the, the, it looks to me like there's a connection there in the in what happens with Rome who has tyranny and we're and folks look if you're if you're like if you're a person who doesn't like history just hang on we're going to bring that up to the present we are going to bring it up to the present and help you understand why this is so important what we're going through but it seems to me Victor there's an important thing um and maybe this isn't part of your talk but maybe you could speak to it just for a minute or two that the renaissance leads up to the fact that God you know, the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll raise up a standard against it. And I think the Reformation, even prior to the Reformation, it was already starting. Uh, we had people like uh, uh, Jan Hus and stuff coming before Martin Luther uh, against the what was coming in the Renaissance. Uh, do you want to speak to that maybe just for a minute or two? But I don't want to sidetrack well, you. Well, yes, and I'm plan- I was planning to. The, the, if you think of the Renaissance essentially uh, coming, um, it went, well, the Renaissance gets kicked off in 1453 when the Ottoman Empire, the, the Muslims, took over Constantinople. And all these uh, people out there came to Rome and elsewhere. They were bringing with them all kinds of occultic manuscripts, including the Kabbalah. And so it even got into the papacy in, in certain streams. And so that then the Gutenberg Bible gets, uh, gets printed in 1454, and then Machiavelli, this is very important, because the, the Renaissance brings back a really clear, a hardcore totalitarian, uh, merciless politics in the book The Prince. And so what's happening then is that people are now starting to challenge and question the Roman Catholic Church, uh, because the Eastern Orthodox Church has been overtaken by the, the Turks, so they, they they begin to question the their their basic beliefs, and as this understanding, including the Kabbalah, and then an increased interest in the Jews, uh, Luther uh, starts looking at the Old Testament in a way that the Catholic Church had not, and so he initially was very attracted to the Jews because it was a fuller view of the Bible. Eventually, he had real problems with what he found out. But but that is part of what led to down through the to the Reformation is a very deep interest in Judaism, particularly the Old Testament and the prophets. But the other problem was the Kabbalah came with it, and so you wind up in Great Britain, and I'll come to this in a moment, where the Puritans become essentially uh, people that are looking to Judaism for the Old Testament and a deeper understanding of the whole revelation of God, and another group splits off into occultism and Freemasonry. So if it, if it hadn't been for the Renaissance and the bringing forth of uh, the Jews out of, the, out of their ghettos and more and more information about them, both the Kabbalah on the one hand and the Torah on the other, you might not have had the Reformation. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, I, it totally does. In fact, uh, it's kind of interesting, uh, the blow that uh, 
basically Luther is credited with, with, with calling out the question of indulgences. That was one of the things. It's funny how stuff is starting to grow. We see it in our world. We talked a little bit about it on Friday, and, we, and I've been discussing it with this whole idea of the tyranny that's coming with this whole coronavirus scare, Ugh, the boogeyman now. It's not, it's not terrorism. It's, you know, whatever, the coronavirus. And it's funny that Martin Luther would attack the issue of indulgences and go on to understand uh, salvation by faith through grace alone, uh, by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. And now we're ha- we're coming to this issue of the coronavirus where even, I don't know if you saw it this week, even this socialist pope is saying if you can't get to, if you can't get to, uh, to if you can't find a priest to confess your sins, you can go directly to God. Well, that's what that's what Protestants have been saying all along. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, which is what the Scripture says. Not to get far off, but that is that. I mean, that's that's key to everything that fights off all of this stuff that you're talking about with Kabbalah, the the Talmud, uh, Islam, or whatever. Is that we can go as people directly to our Father in heaven. And it's a it's a striking blow against all of these things that you're talking about. Well, exactly. Now, here's a here's a interesting parallel. Jesus Christ attacked the Pharisees of the day and the Sadducees for having made a number of extra biblical traditions. Yep. Right. And, and nullified and nullified the the commands of God. I remember. Yeah. That's right. So now, what did the Roman Catholic Church do over the centuries? They created extra biblical traditions, uh, and Luther essentially called them out on it. Indulgences being one, and so that what you see happening is a return to the same problem of Jesus that Jesus encountered when he was alive on the earth, and uh, it was the same uh, a problem that led to the development of the Kabbalah, and it all brought back in, and there was a stream of this kind of buried internally, even though the Roman Catholic Church was anti-Freemasonry for a long time, there are a lot of evidence to suggest that there are a strain of that Christian Kabbalah, they call it, and Freemasonry, uh, and the, those ideas embedded in the Catholic hierarchy in the Vatican. And in fact, one can argue that much of what Pope Francis is now saying has a lot of pantheistic, Gnostic, Christian sure, Kabbalah sure and what he's saying. Yep, sure it does. Let me ask you one question about that, and this was probably not part of your talk, but maybe you can speak to it for a minute or two before you continue. What about the Jesuit section of Roman Catholicism? Is that tied in with this as well? Um, well, that was—okay, <laughs> I, I will say something about it, but I, I think I'd like to leave sure, that's uh, that in any detail to next time, but you have to understand that when— the Jews were living in Spain under Muslim rule. They were very, very, they, like they always do, they wound up very high as advisors, tax farmers, and the rest, because they're brilliant people. And so when, the, when um, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella uh, conquered, and they, they, kicked, they kicked the Jews out, they said, you have to leave unless you convert. And so there is something called conversos. And they, another phrase is crypto-Jews. And many of them left, uh, of course, Spain for North Africa and for Palestine and, and uh, what is the Ottoman Empire. But many of them uh, stayed and they uh, practiced their uh, Jewish beliefs at home and private, but became Roman Catholics. 
And Ignatius Loyola is a uh, is one of those Jewish families. He was a crypto Jew. So I don't want to go into it today because this this gets into tricky ground and there's a lot I get of it. I too get much it. speculation. But there is a stream within uh, the Jesuit order, and it's one of the reasons they were kicked out of many countries. That they they're very very aggressive, very political. They're the ones that kind of overall orchestrated the Inquisition against a lot of conversos or crypto Jews. And the Black Pope is the actually the name or the title of the head of the Jesuit order. And, of course, we now have a Jesuit as Pope. So that's a, that's a tricky stream, but it's a, it helps to explain a lot about the, the development of liberation theology, yep. which is part of the whole story. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, the Pope is saying that the, the Jews and the Muslims have their own way to God. And yep. All that's, that's typical Freemason talk. Anyway, is that enough? No, that's that's fine. I, 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 I just saw the segue in there, so I just wanted to ask a question about that uh, to put, put that in perspective, because I always want to keep things, whatever we're learning in history, it has an impact for today. And some people don't like history. Some people love history if, it, if it's not just about learning dates and stuff. If it's about learning, you know, if you can learn from history and it, you can make it applicable today, that's great. And so this was a way I could see, okay, people, you see what's going on with the Pope here. Um, and and then you see these things that have come behind him or before him and how that impacts today. So that's that's the only reason I asked the question. Didn't mean to get you off track there. No, no, well, that, it was, it's part of it. The, the trouble is we're dealing with a, a multiple uh, boxes of uh, jigsaw, piece, jigsaw puzzle pieces on the floor. <laughs> Well, yes, we, yes, we are. But the Bible tells us it's not about the humans. This is what if we can help people understand something. It is not about the human face that you see. It is the spiritual entities and thoughts and ideologies that are behind that person, because the Bible says that our war is not against flesh and blood, right? Exactly. Well, and, when he talks about it, when Paul to. talks in Ephesians six about we war not, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But with powers and principalities, rulers of darkness in high places, these are satanic beings that actually do a great deal of involvement in the politics of the globe. But leaving that aside and pressing on. So now what happens is, is what really gets uh, critical. Because once the Renaissance is kicked off and the Reformation is kicked off, there's a period called the Counter-Reformation where the Catholics... Uh, start changing a lot of the, the abuses they'd had, uh, and there's a lot of wars. But over in England, something happens, and it's a very this is critical to the today because once the Brits got a hold of uh, the whole the idea of the of the of Jewish knowledge, on the one hand, an opening up of the of the uh, literal uh, revelation of the Old Testament, the prophets, and the writings. On the one hand you wind up starting to get uh, the Reformation, and uh, you get the Puritans, you get a real strong uh, understanding, largely through the Augustinian Calvinistic viewpoint, uh, and those people start trickling over both to Holland and to America. I'll come back to that in a moment. But the problem is, for what happened with Great Britain, is that when Elizabeth I uh, came to the throne in the 14... Uh, I'm sorry, 1558, she was very attracted to what was then being called Christian Kabbalah. And there was a guy named John Dee, D-E-E, 
John D. People should look him up because he was deep into uh, the occult and to the point, and he's an alchemist. He was a magic magician. He was part of her spy network. His, his agent number was 007. Um, and he uh, communed with spirits. He was a, a medium. And so he began, and Elizabeth was very attracted to this. And the whole uh, period of Elizabethan England uh, gets at the highest levels, starts moving into this, uh, what they call Christian Kabbalah. Or, and eventually, about the same time, people that were, had been involved in uh, masonry, Freemasonry, guys that actually built buildings, started to get people, because it was a professional organization, they started getting people wanting to join who eventually created speculative masonry. And so what happened is the Church of England, feeling the need to have a religious base, kind of took over the machinery of what was then the Church of England and kept the cathedrals and whatnot, but it was still a kind of a highly ritualized, uh, empty, spiritually empty form of Christianity. It's not to say that there weren't some wonderful Christians in the middle of that, but at the at the, the hierarchical levels. And you'll see, in all through Great Britain, you'll see it on the floors of the cathedrals, black and white squares. All the, You'll see the policemen have black and white headbands or other hats, uh, little squares. That's, that's a sign of Freemasonry. England has been essentially guided by, not necessarily totally controlled, but guided by Freemasonic ideas. And what are the Freemasonic ideas? Well, they get it. First of all, there's the, the, you do not have a god. It's sort of a pantheistic viewpoint. You can join it if you're a, a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, or an, even an atheist or a deist who says that there's you know the architect uh, of the great architect of the universe or something. And but as you move up through the hierarchy, you start finding out that you have to leave your Christianity, your Islam, and any Orthodox Judaism behind because. You are now moving into a new level, uh, and that's the level of, of Luciferianism. And so the, you wind up then having Freemasonry a significant part. Now, in some respects, uh, it, it, there's, it's like everything else. There are variations. The Freemasons of, of England um, pretty much emphasized Freemasonry, and uh, there was no revolution there. I mean, there was a partial one under Cromwell and that but uh, but then the freemasonry started to have uh, lodges in in holland and in france and when it crossed over to the continent um they didn't have the kind of stability that uh, and, and the, some levels of freedom that the british had so what you had in in france uh was a, a revolutionary tendency it, uh, you really started seeing um not only sexuality i mean if you ever if anybody ever wants to read about the, the origins of the French Revolution and see how much the Freemasonry and occultism was involved, they should read The Fire of the Minds of Men by James Billington, who was one time the head of the Library of Congress. But the point is that in, in the continent, it became much more radical. And it led, in fact, there were Masonic lodges deeply involved in the creation and the triggering of the revolution, and it was deeply sexualized. They figured that the more that they could get people to uh, enjoy the sexual passions, the the more they would want to have liberation and freedom. So, so when they said liberty, 
uh, equality and fraternity. They meant liberty to do what they wanted to do. Right, and uh, this and this would this would be key to uh, the image that we see of the French Revolution, where we have the bare-breasted woman running out and you know sort of leading the men, which uh, is, boy, if you read your Bible, you'll and, see that that's a judgment and, against the people, not something that's that's good. And I would think that 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 leads towards what I call the practicing Satanists, which are the libertarians of the day who don't believe in God's law as the bumpers to guard liberty. Because the Bible indeed, you know, Jesus said, if the, the uh, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He said he was the truth, and he's tied to the law of God because he gave it. So those are our bumpers. So we have, we talk about rights. We have the right to do the right thing. We have liberty to do the right thing. We don't have the liberty to just do whatever the heck we want to do. Um and and because that becomes what uh, Aleister Crowley had said was, do whatever thou will will be the whole of the law, and that's practice. That that's practical Satanism is what that is. I've always told people that at least those I would come in contact with today. Well, that that's true. Um, the uh, the the key thing here is that you just said you set you free, free. Well, Jesus goes set you free from what. Because we are every person is right. born into the rule of Lucifer. Yes. That's what fallen nature means. And unless grace, uh, God's grace moves in your life, you may not be realize it, but you're enslaved to that. I mean, in, what is the Dylan song? You got to choose or something. <laughs> I forget the actual lyrics. So what you have is that we're free. We're being liberated from from an enslavement to an evil being, to a pattern of living that will increasingly uh, benefit us, and, and in terms of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., and eventually will put us into the, 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 the full paradise of God, the Garden of Eden expanded when the King Jesus comes back. Well, and but, let's, let's take that real quickly uh, to what Scripture says. It says in Ephesians 2, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once, and you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air." Who is that? That's Satan." the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the very thing that you're talking about, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of God. But he doesn't leave us in that situation. Ephesians 4, excuse me, 2, 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trust, even when we were his enemies, Absolutely the Bible said right. he made us alive. Not that we made some kind of choice to choose him, but he chose no. us. And he and Ephesians 1 started that out. He adopted us. It wasn't that we were cute, lovable little creatures. Look, oh, I'm, no. an, exactly I'm an adopter. Right. I'm an adopted well, listen, kid. Let me, let me, because before yeah. we lose out Sorry. <laughs> so what happens? When you allowed continental Freemasonry to create a revolution that was setting out to destroy the, the monarchy of France and the religion of France and create a democracy, and it's very interesting, they called it a republic. Which yep. is more not not the kind of republic that was happening across the Atlantic in America a few years earlier, right, right. but the republic that Plato was talking about. Yep. And so what you wound up having then is so much sexuality and slaughter. And the Marquis de Sade, who was uh, in the Bastille and liberated, uh, was the, one of the primary people to talk about. Women are just 
objects for voluptualization, whether you rape them, uh, torture them, or what. All that becomes, if you're totally free, do whatever you want. Well, everybody starts doing whatever you want. We went through the Great Terror. People are getting slaughtered all over the place. And the demand for order is so great in any advanced stage of democracy, you get a tyrant. And who comes on the scene? Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, across the Atlantic, a different form of Freemasonry is coming on because there is still a much stronger sense of Puritanism and Christianity built into the colonial base. And by the time you get into the mid-1700s, the kind of Freemasonry here was much nothing like the radicalism that emerged eventually in France, but more, but more, uh, but less tied to the government uh, than it was in uh, in in Great Britain. And so, when the revolution comes along, part of the reason that it was successful was because there were Freemasonic lodges in the United States uh, where the men could meet in private and trust that they weren't being uh, sold out to the Brits who they were talking against. And in fact. The Boston Tea Party uh, was done by a group of Freemasons out of the Green Dragon Tavern, which is a lodge there in Boston. Yep. And, and, of course, George Washington and many of his generals were Freemasons. And so when the Constitution finally gets created, it's part of the, our problem today is it's a blend. It, it blends a number of, of solid Christian ideas yep. uh, 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 because Christianity is ultimately a decentralized form of government, if you study it. Uh, but essentially, uh, that uh, a belief in uh, just weights and measures is one of the reasons why the Constitution has gold uh, and silver, gold and, silver. Yep. Uh, and, and, uh, and uh, a division of powers, because of the understanding that man's basic nature is fallen, and unless, yep. unless you're truly saved, uh, you've got to have the Machiavellian tendencies of the Renaissance. Right. Uh, at the same time, you didn't, uh, you know, acknowledge biblical law. So a deist like Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence talks about uh, nature's God, which uh, means that it's not necessarily the biblical God. It could be, but it depends on what you choose. And so to the extent that biblical law, was, although that was the common law base, was not the final determinant. The, ter- the final determinant is what do men determine na- nature's teaching us about law? And the trouble is having that uneasy alloy of biblical Christianity on the one hand and Freemasonry on the other. We wind up then the balance of the of the of the our history is a conflict between the two. And as we move toward the end of the 18th century. I'm sorry, the, the 19th century and into the 20th, Freemasonry has been winning, and biblical Christianity has been losing. Well, Why? Said, yeah, well, For lots of reasons, but one of them is many Christians have abandoned the public square, expecting to yep. be delivered before anything really gets bad, and focusing just on self, family, and church. Yeah, well, there's, there, you know, I've had some people make mention of this issue, and I'm well aware of what went on. I work for Dr. Gary North. Uh, he did a book called, or he wrote a book called uh, Political Polytheism. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah, and, and another book called the, Con- the Conspiracy in Philadelphia. Well, but but the Conspiracy in Philadelphia is like the third chapter of Political Polytheism. It's like 500 right, okay. something pages. We, exp- well, I will get it expanded, I believe. Right. Well, we, well we, we reprinted that at Nicene Council when I was at it. And people was like, people were like, I didn't know this. 
because it's not part of their history. So when I go to the Constitution, the Constitution is not the Word of God. It is not inspired. I've had to con- I've had to correct many of my friends at that. It is not what um, it has elements like what you said of biblical understanding there without saying, hey, we're Christian. For instance, if you go back to the Solemn League and Covenant, that was very explicitly Christian. You know, all of the Western world has broken that. We've just said on that. And we've taken on the Constitution. Now, the Constitution, people need to understand, I'm not attacking it, but I'm just simply saying what Victor has said. There's a a mixture there. There is no formal... um, Uh, affirmation of the God who created the Lord Jesus Christ, what John 1, 1 says, that he is the word. He was in the beginning. He made all things. uh, First, excuse me, Colossians teaches us that. And so there's no formal thing of that, but there is a mindset, which at least has been influenced by Christianity. We can say that there's no doubt. I mean, that's what you're pointing out. The difference between us and the, and the French revolution. Now we're coming up in a time where we're, we're starting to break up and stuff uh, in America, we don't have that foundation anymore. The people have abandoned the complete foundation, even the foundation of the Constitution. They've they've not only abandoned what came before it, you know, hundreds of years before and was set in the state laws, which actually addressed and listed the scriptures for their law and for their punishment, but we've moved, we're in the issue of the French Renaissance, uh, the French Revolution, and what do we think is ahead of us in that? Do we think we're we're going to sow to the wind? We're going to reap the whirlwind? Well, let me say this: I started us off saying that uh, the supernatural in politics and empire, Gnosticism leads to three things: spiritism, sexualism, and socialism. Well, the whole New Age movement is spiritism. It's a different spirit. And the advanced sexuality, which is intensifying in the schools, is very far advanced. And we've been moving towards a, a different aspects of socialism now for over 100 years. So we are in the midst of uh, this uh, of, of an advanced case of uh, Gnostic uh, Freemasonry, spiritism, sexualism, and socialism. And we're still not fighting it effectively because... We, that is, as Christians, really have abandoned the public square. I mean, there are persons, you have voices like yourself, Tim, and others, and it's not, we're not, we're not singular voices crying in the wilderness, but the number of people that are aware of this, I mean, they may get super excited about, oh, I don't like what's going on in the state, uh, the public schools, we got to change the board of, direct, uh, of supervisors, or, you know, the, <laughs> the board of education, or, oh, this abortion's terrible, we got to fight the clinics. There's all kinds of little experts like this, but in terms of a comprehensive victory vision and a ground-planned agenda and a transformation of Christianity in this country back to the kinds of strengths it had in yesteryear, it's not there yet. Now, if the Holy Spirit moves, who knows? My prayer is that more people would take seriously the command, if you love me, keep my commandments, pray, if you love me, keep my commandments. One of the commandments is, um, expose evil. Uh, another one is, um, uh, uh, um, oh, pray for those in positions of authority. How many Christians do you yep. know on a daily basis pray for those in positions of authority? The godly men and women yep. would come to the fore, and evil people would be exposed. 
I don't think I, I ask that question often to Christians, and most people say, gee, I, I know that's there, but I don't do that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. At, at our church, I know at the church, we practice that very thing every week. Um, and then I know people do it in their homes because we're practicing every week. Because whatever we do when we come together as the people of God, we're setting an example for what we do during the week. And we pray specifically for our leaders. One, that either God would give them wisdom, convert them, change their hearts like he did Nebuchadnezzar, and cause them to follow after him. Or... He would break their teeth in their mouth. I mean, it's one or the other. Do what you will, God, but bring us those ministers. I mean, people forget Romans 13. They're the ministers of God. They're not for themselves. They're not for the state. They're supposed, they answer to God for what they do. And so I I think that, that that's a good point. We miss that. And people say, they tell me, well, you just hate Donald Trump if I criticize that. Well, I don't. The issue is we call them back to the law, just like all of the people need to understand all the Old Testament. When you read the prophets, all of them are political. They are all calling their leaders and the people back to God's law. It's political in nature. I mean, that's what it is. It's spiritual, yes, but it's always calling them back to be obedient to God. So you've got a good point there. And I think that that's the message the people of America look. You see the encroaching tyranny. You can argue with me whether I love or hate Donald Trump all you want to. And I will tell you over and over, I cannot hate the man. I am not called to hate the man. I'm called to love the man. I'm called to love everybody that I think is a total boob up there in D.C. I really am. I'm I'm called to love them. But the fact of the matter is part of love is you have to you have there there's a chastening there's a and we as the people in this country this is one of the things Dr. North brought out in the constitution it is a covenant document but unlike any covenant document that came before it it starts with we the people rather than the creator our god the lord jesus yeah. christ and let me go ahead go ahead no go ahead i, I want to we're about to end i know we're almost done out of time yes, yes. i'd like to, i'd like to leave this with people to to reflect on one uh, so far as history is concerned, you know that if you meet somebody new and you were to, they were to say to you, oh, I'd really like to be your friend, but please never tell me anything about your life before today. <laughs> right. You'd say, what? You know, you can't understand that person unless you know their life before sure. that day. So if this, all these things move into the thoughts and forms of the culture. They come out of the past, and people are enslaved by them if they don't understand them. So what we're faced today is, Really, if you go back, we're faced with a choice between Athens and Jerusalem. Yep. And what we've been adopting is Athenian uh, polytheism, sexuality, spiritualism, all those things, totalitarianism, the Plato, Platonic Republic, in contrast to the Christ Jesus, the suffering servant that came to save, who will eventually come as the Lord and King of, the, of his creation, and that's the choice. You're going to choose Athens, or you're going to choose Jerusalem. Well, I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, let's let's end on this positive note, because I, I think this is one of the things that I did in the previous radio show before we, I came to uh, Sons of Liberty. And that is to speak to this issue that you just brought up, uh, because I think it is so important. Um, and I was trying to get the passage up here so I could show people. Um, when we talk, when you and I talk about Jerusalem, we're not talking about a 
place on a map in a postage stamp piece of land. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking what we're talking about is what God has given us in um, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go to Galatians uh, chapter four, and um, I I don't know why I'm trying to pull it up so I could show people, but the the thing is uh, acting up here. Let me let me just pull it up because I'd like to end on this note, Victor, if we can. Instead of just highlighting all the stuff, which I'm grateful for you that you've educated us in a lot of these things. Here's what Paul has to say, just so people understand. Verse 3 of chapter 4 of Galatians, So also when we were children, we were enslaved under the basic principles of the world. But when um, the time had fully come, God sent his son, born under a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons. This is the very thing I was talking about in Ephesians uh, 1 and 2. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then he comes down and he talks about you're no longer under slate. You're no longer enslaved. Uh, he he goes down a little further and he gives the issue or uh, the idea of the covenant was given. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 4 of Galatians. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not understand what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born because of the promise. These things serve as illustrations there is illustrations for the women represent two covenants one covenant is from mount sinai and bears children unto slavery this is hagar now hagar stands for mount sinai uh in arabia and corresponds uh, to the present day jerusalem the present day jerusalem that's what he's talking about that this postage stamp piece of land the physical because she is in slavery with the children but the jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written rejoice so he quotes the the passage there and then he says now you brothers like isaac are children of promise at the time however the son was born the flesh persecuted the son born of the spirit it is the same now i encourage people to take a look at that uh because victor i this is the thing that we're trying to get. You're explaining all of these different things that are trying to close in on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the word of God, of what it is said, of what seeks to enslave us. And yet we throw off what God has clearly said about himself and about us, about his gospel, about who the real Israel is and about who his people are. With that said, we're going to cut it off for today. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. Victor, thank you for all the information you give. I appreciate you so much, brother. Lord willing, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Comic Core, David Lynn Taylor with us. See ya.